Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, everyone. This week on Catch and Shoot 2.0, we have a very special guest standing by. He's a writer for The Athletic and a former NBA executive, and we have a lot of topics we'll take up with him. But first, Darlene, let's get to it. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo. Fellas? Welcome, everybody, to this edition of Catch and Shoot 2.0. Aaron Berlin, my co-host, how are you doing, sir? Otto, I am experiencing what life was like before cell phones, my man. So I am having a rough week. I have now gone five days without a cell phone. Not by choice, by accident. But I'm experiencing what it was like when I was a sixth grader again, and there was no twitch to grab your phone or see what was going on. So that's how my life's going. What about you, my man? Well, before we get to that, if if you don't mind (laughs) discussing or divulging, what happened to said cell phone? So, um... Not not to brag, but I do have a pool and I had my phone on the deck of my pool. And, you know, in Florida in the summertime, it's like 100 degrees. So yep. it was just sitting on the deck baking in the sun. And I guess the processor like blew up in the middle of it. But yep. on Saturday, I spent two and a half hours on the phone with the Apple store. And because, you know, it's Florida and we're the epicenter of what's going on with this coronavirus. None of our Apple stores are open. Can't go to a, we can go to a Best Buy, but they can't replace it there. So I spent two and a half hours on the phone with support. They're shipping me a phone that gets here on like Thursday. So I'm just riding this out without a cell phone. It's It's been wild. Like I still have like the iMessage and things like that. But as far as like when I'm in the car, I can't listen to a podcast. I can't listen to my Spotify. It's just dead silent. It's like being in 1998 when I had to listen to the radio and had yeah. no other options. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if so, if that's like a 10 on the, on the, on the excitement meter, I'm like at a five. I, I made, I made pasta, I made pasta and sausage uh, meat sauce last night. That's, that was pretty Did you make awesome. the pasta yourself. Well, well, so let me, let me edit. I didn't make the pasta, didn't make the sauce, but I did construct the rag, the ragu, which is to say the, the sausage with the, with the jarred sauce and some veggies in there. I was, I was, I was kind of proud of myself. Kind of proud of myself. So, so to, to build off that, on Sunday, my girlfriend's uh, family was all up here and they're an Italian family. So they made this big Italian feast and they were like making the noodles themselves. They're making the sauce themselves. Oh man, I've gained like five pounds without a cell phone and it's been great. It's been wow. great. So, um, so you are, you're the, you're, you're the epicenter in more ways than one, because in, in a matter of uh, about a, a week or in change, uh, you're going to have a whole host of NBA players in your house. Yeah. How it's wild to think about, right? Yeah. So uh, 
uh, on on the forefront, I'm very excited that the country as a whole is going to get to take a closer look at Central Florida because when you think of the state of Florida, you think of the Miami Heat, right? And you think of those early Magic teams with Penny and Shaq and, you know, the Dwight years when they made the run of the finals and just couldn't get over the hump against the Lakers. But as a whole, when, you know, you think about Orlando, you think about Disney World and the happiest place on earth and the theme parks. And so I am excited to an extent that people are going to get a closer look at what the city of Orlando has to offer, even though they're going to be out in Kissimmee. I I do think that's going to be an interesting thing to follow. But on the other side of the coin, Otto, every day Central Florida has rising coronavirus cases. You know, just yesterday on a Monday, which is always the lowest day that COVID-19 numbers come out, we had 5,600 new cases. They're expected to be somewhere around 9,000 here today on a Tuesday when we're recording. And as that number ticks up, the concern grows more for the NBA and the concern for these players. And, you know, before we started recording today, uh, Woj popped at that, you know, the Nuggets had some new positive cases today. And so that's going to happen as these teams return to training camp. But it does get scary as we get closer to that late July date. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And as we talk about you know, looking forward, I, I cannot help but also look back because it was 10 years ago or just almost to the day that a certain somebody decided he was going to take his talents to South Beach. And it's wild that it's been 10 years, isn't it? It has been 10 years. Just so July 8th will be will be the, the 10-year anniversary. I was working at ESPN the magazine at that point. I was a senior editor. Uh, and, you know, quick, funny little story. So the NBA preview that year was going to be a collaboration with Marvel Comics. Uh, Disney had acquired Marvel Comics or, uh, some months earlier. And one of the plans that we had discussed was trying to do an NBA preview that both touched that, that Marvel was involved in. And so the, the preview was already underway. And what we were going to do was basically tell the story of the preview story of each team with a comic book cover. So if you could imagine, you know, um, you know, Iron Man was, you know, you know, with Kobe as Iron Man, that's, you know, that was, that was because that's where he was at that point in his, in his career. Now, so all of the covers were basically done by that point. And then the decision happened. So I got a call from some of the guys at Marvel and they said, hey, we want to change the, the Cavaliers cover. And we're like, okay, well, what do you have in mind? So I don't know if yeah, there are any comic book fans out there, but if, if you know one comic book cover, you probably know this one. And it's the one where Spider-Man, Peter Parker, drops his um, Spider-Man um, uniform in the trash. And they sent back to us basically a, a, an homage to that cover where LeBron is walking away down the, down the dark alley that's raining and there's a Cavaliers jersey in the trash. And then the, the, um, the cut line says uh, Cavaliers no more or something, something to that effect. And it was, it was awesome. We took a, little, took a little heat from the folks at Cleveland, but it was awesome. <laughs> but you know like those things are memorable you know uh one of my favorite covers is the sports illustrated one where you know the rays went on that great run in 2008 but it was comic book-esque and they had this big Rays player lifting up a yankees player in a single hand and comic books are, are part of like the american fabric and people love them and enjoy them and so the the excite the weird thing about that and you know to build off the fact that it's been 10 years is all the groundwork that decision set for kind of like the future inner workings of the NBA and player movement, right? Like, so, so players had moved around before and they'd kind of picked and choose their markets, but never, 
I guess, as a whole at one point, right? Like, you know, Shaq had moved to LA and that was a big deal, but so much of that was set up by the way contracts were negotiated at that point that allowed him to leave Orlando after just a few years. Never before had you really had players conspiring with each other to pick a market to build a team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's an excellent point that you raised. And, and, and while I was talking about the, the comic book and, and, a, and a, a lighter aspect, um, the, the hate and the vitriol that was expressed or directed toward LeBron for doing what he did and, and you know, Chris Bosch to, to, to an extent and Dwayne Wade, but obviously LeBron is, is, the, is the key, key figure there. Um, it, it did, it was one of those seismic shifts. Um, and there were a number of, you might remember Dan Gilbert, the owner of the Cavs had a, a pretty acerbic letter that, that, uh, that he fired off, I think within before, before sunrise the next day, I think, actually, I think before the plane even landed in Miami, um, yeah. it was just kind of, um, really, really tough on LeBron, given that LeBron is an, was an employee. He worked, he, he earned money and he worked and the contract was over and now it's on to the next, you know, he's not, um, you know, he's not somebody who owes, um, the ownership and I, I won't go any further with that, but he's not somebody who owes anything else other than, you know, the, the fine work that he did over the life of his career. So it, it, to your point, it definitely did kind of usher in a new, uh, error. And, and we see, we see that now with, with players controlling the narrative, whether it's, um, you know, uh, various platforms who are, you know, players of straight, straight to, uh, so on social media or, or their own production houses. And that's, you know, like, that's great. You're, you're, it's the American way, right? You know, yeah. make the system your own and make it work for you and to whatever degree you can and, and, you know, chips forward. Well, yeah, I, I just remember how, how many people thought that segment was silly at the time, you know, like, why is he going to have this big grand, um, segment on ESPN if all he was going to do was announce that he was leaving Cleveland, right? Like that was the bad part about it. Like there was a rough perception around it. But my question to you is as someone who is working in a newsroom at that time, and you still are today, uh, but working in the ESPN newsroom at that time, covering that story, what was that like for you and your reporters? Um, well, you know, once again, uh, we were, we were in the magazine and, and those were the days, um, I mean, it, it's, it's 10 years, but in some ways it seems like a hundred years ago, uh, the magazine kind of did its thing for the most part and com kind of did its thing for the most part. Now in, in subsequent years, the, the, the staffs meshed and, and came a little closer together. Um, but for us, we were trying to figure out, um, you know, I, in the magazine world, you're always working several weeks, if not several months ahead. So I'm working on a preview um, I can't recall where that where the specific issue that we were closing that week was, but it's just one of those things where I had you know my guys and my you know the, my unit working on our our stuff and you know someone like Chris Broussard who who was uh, obviously vocal in in the uh, in all of the LeBron coverage through my through my time there um, he was you know on the phone and this is what we're hearing I think he called me like a split second before or somewhere around there but um, I think he thought heavily that it was going to be Miami, but couldn't really say it. I, I think if I'm remembering correctly, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, it was a crazy time. I mean, just everyone's trying to get every little nugget that they can get. Um, but, um, but yeah, in, in the end, it was the show out of Greenwich, Connecticut. Go figure. Our guest this week is Seth Partnow of The Athletic. Seth writes about big pictures issues around the NBA and is a former executive in the Milwaukee Bucks front office. You can also follow him on Twitter at Seth Partnow.
Welcome to Catch and Shoot 2.0, Seth. As we record this show, it's June 30th. We are exactly one month away from the expected restart of the NBA season, which we all know will take place in the Disney bubble outside of Orlando, Florida. Mm -hmm. There's a lot to discuss here, but at the top of this list, do you think we will have action on July 30th when the, schedule, when the season is supposed to restart? I, Man, start off with the stumper. I, I don't know. <laughs> um, it's... Every there's I'm not sure there's a breaking point, but every day there's there's a drib or a drab of something that uh, makes you worry. Um, I don't think individual players testing positive, um, at least in the numbers we've seen so far, is really a worry. Um, I think it's it seems like it's in line with what other sports have seen, what kind of general populations of of you know twenty to forty year olds have seen in you know metro areas um i think the news that came out this morning that like the nuggets have temporarily closed their practice facility those are the kinds of of systemic things that are going to uh make you worry and then obviously the underlying conditions um uh in in uh, orange county florida are are uh, and i'm i don't, I don't want to pretend to be an epidemiologist but uh but uh, obviously more cases there is bad um, as far as being able to both get teams, players, uh, execs, eventually families into the bubble and also um, kind of there, there is, you know, service the bubble, whether it's, it's getting uh, the, the, the staff that, that's working on site or even just getting food delivered mm -hmm. um, and, and stuff like that. So, well, yeah. Well, let me ask it this way. Do you feel like there's a red line or, or would there be a red line for you? Um, for for a restart or for play to to you know um i think there is or should be one i don't feel like i'm qualified to be to to say what that is um if i can if i can punt the question that way <laughs> yeah, away. absolutely seth and you know you mentioned you know there's a bigger issue here in orange county which is where i'm at i'm in central florida that's where i live and, you know, just on Monday, we had 5,600 new cases of COVID-19. And so as that number continues to spike, at what point does that become a problem? And it's already an issue, whether it's in markets like Denver or New Jersey or uh, Brooklyn, where the Nets play. And you look at what's happening with this Brooklyn Nets team. This is a team that's in the playoffs, if it were today. You know, they're the seventh seed. And all of a sudden, whether it's Spencer Dinwiddie, DeAndre Jordan, those two guys have tested positive. It's obviously a concern for the NBA, but at what point, do teams, do players start saying, if these teams aren't going to have their best available, what's the point? Um, I think that um, that probably depends on, uh, cynically, it depends on the team to which that's that's happening to. Um, like, uh, no disrespect, but I don't think that anyone really thinks the Nets are um, a, a contender to... to do much in the playoffs this year with Kyrie Irving already out, Kevin Durant not playing. Um, yeah, but it's, it's more like a, a pride yeah. of the game, right? Like you line up your best five against my best five. And if we don't have that, then, you know, at what point is this title valid? Um, two, well, two things going on here. One, I think that those kind of considerations are stuff that we care a lot more about than, than, uh, than the people inside do. Uh, you, you play the game that's in front of you. Um, so if, if some, if, if someone's injured, uh, on your team, you figure, figure the way out. If, if, uh, someone on the other team is injured or out or, or sick, you 
you know, those are the breaks. You still have to go out and, and win the game. So I think that like from a competitive standpoint, I, I don't, uh, unless it becomes truly farcical in terms of teams are starting multiple kind of replacement players. You know, Seth, one of the things I keep going back to is, so, so baseball, for instance, is finally going to get going after month-long negotiations about what the players were going to get paid, how many games they were going to go. The NBA essentially had no negotiation, but part of the reason that we're getting back to this is because of the television contracts they have with their TV partners. It's part of the reason why this bubble atmosphere is being played at Disney World. Uh, it's, it's funny, and there is certainly a competitive standpoint, but how much of this is also focused on the amount of money that the league needs to make in order to reach the CBA as well? Yes. I think if there wasn't a massive amount of money at stake, I don't think anyone will be playing. I think Adam Silver has acknowledged this. I think the players have acknowledged this. I think uh, GMs and executives have acknowledged this. And um, I think, I think commissioner Silver said it in, in his, uh, his conference call uh, earlier this week. Uh, or last week, whenever it was, um, that that you know this is this is kind of the reality we're living in now, and it's a it's a a decision and a, a a situation that every American business is figuring out how do we go how do we operate as a going concern in this environment, and the NBA is certainly one of the more hope high profile instances of that, but yeah, it's about the money and putting people to work and it's not just the players and the coaches there's uh, all you know number of people up and down every organization that that are supported by this um and figuring out how to you know continue doing business and that's a huge part of it and you know it's professional sports so acknowledging that isn't doesn't devalue um the competitive aspect but it just has to be acknowledged that's a that's that's a an overwhelming part of what we're doing and why are people so hesitant to acknowledge that part of it i honestly don't know um i i i really don't um <laughs> it's it's something that's been hard for me to, to wrap my head around i do understand like from the standpoint where if people are worried about you know sacrificing health for short-term revenue i think that is a that is a real concern um i think in this instance um you know, based on the expert opinion of, of, you know, the, the, the medical and scientific folks that the NBA seems to have come up with a plan that is uh, as best as is practicable to, to deal with that concern. And we have to acknowledge the fact that um, not continuing with the season, just based on the number of players who are testing positive for, for the coronavirus, you know, coming back to their practice facilities where that, you know, players like all of us are not living in risk-free environments right now. So it, it, the question is, is the additional risk of the season such that it is worth continuing on or not? And, um, and again, to get back to your original question about whether this restart will happen or not, I think that's the question that, that is still what, what they're going to end up facing when they get to the point of, of, of go or no go. And Seth, that, that's a really good point because if they're going to be in this bubble environment, theoretically, everybody would test negative for COVID-19, right? So theoretically, they're in a safer spot in late July than they are today where they can just go out to wherever they are in the world, whether people are wearing masks or not. So 
it's it's a tough question to answer and it's a tough situation to be in regardless yeah i think um i i asked we've we've had a, on on my podcast we've had a we've had an a, an epidemiologist on a few times and um and he he kind of agreed with my framing that uh individual players might be safer in this environment but the systematic risk to the league as a whole is higher just by everyone being sort of congregated in 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 one place in in this way so that's a that's that's something to be worried about and there's i don't think there's any good reason to sugarcoat that last year the warriors uh lost durant and lost clay in the nba finals and there was no asterisk next next to the the raptors championship so much in the same way if god forbid lebron and ad went down or were forced out with covid you know it, it in in practical sense it would be the it would be the same thing would it not um i I'm not a believer in asterisks. I don't think that you describe a championship as lucky uh, because every championship that any team has won has involved some luck, even if it's the absence of bad luck. Um, you know, these teams that go on great multi-year runs, oh, they had a great run of health. Um, they were lucky. They were they were lucky to, to not suffer, you know, a normal rate of injuries. Um, uh, I think that LeBron's eight straight, uh, uh, NBA Finals appearances. I mean, he played a, a, a season and a half extra, um, and and largely held up. And there's, you know, to some degree, that's a testament to, to him. But and the amount of work he puts in to stay healthy. But it's also, you know, he 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 never landed on someone's foot the wrong way, and, and you know, over those over those eight seasons. And that's, you know, he didn't get unlucky, and. Um, that's the same thing as being lucky in a certain way. So, um, yeah, things happen. Things will happen, but things happen every time any team wins anything because the margins are pretty small. So, I don't think fixating on that as a as an as a, a special reason to say, "Oh, this year is different," uh, makes a lot of sense. And so that that's a good point because you know. Every NBA season is a marathon. It's not a sprint. You know, that's part of the reason why the playoffs are as long as they are. And let's keep it on the Lakers for a second, because I do want to address kind of the elephant in the room. You know, this is a team that's going to lose an integral piece of their roster in Avery Bradley, who's going to sit out the playoffs. They bring in J.R. Smith. One, how big of a loss is that for this Lakers team with everything that Avery does for them? And then with JR not playing for as long as he did, how hard is that going to be for him with a shortened essential training camp, whether it's in LA or when they eventually move to Orlando and then just the eight seeding games, how fast can JR be realistically able to get up to speed? Um, I'm going to endear myself to Lakers fans by saying that I, that for their sake, if JR is getting minutes, something has gone wrong. Um, I think that, uh, in some ways, uh, this this uh, the the player who's best able to to fit in to that slot and give kind of what the Lakers need is probably Alex Caruso, um, and so while Jr. Smith is 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 the name, um, he, ha- he hasn't really been an effective NBA player in about four years. So um, really expecting much from that and counting on on much from him is uh, probably a sign of trouble. Sticking in the Western Conference, what would be your um, prognostication? What do you? How do you? How do you see the Western Conference kind of winding, winding, winding down? 
Um, I think the, the the two. There's no reason to think that the the two LA teams aren't the teams with the 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 best chances. Like obviously not knowing what the rosters totally look like for everyone yet. Um, I mean, those were the two best teams in the conference. Certainly, when when healthy, uh, the the Clippers kind of um, for various reasons, whether Paul George's injury to start the year and and Kawhi Leonard's sort of uh, uh, load management protocols, they didn't always have their best team on the floor, but I think they and the Lakers are, are, you know, a cut above everybody else. Um, and then the Rockets, I think are just because they're so different and unprecedented and we don't know how a team that devoted to sort of a counter, uh, like a counter cyclical style, like they're playing, um, how that'll work in the playoffs. They have to be in there as a wild card, but I don't think that they're, uh, really close to the same level uh, in terms of of rational expectation as the LA teams are. Uh, and Eastern Conference, uh, East, Eastern Conference. I mean, you have to you have to start with with a mild team, um, the Bucks, and then and then I think the the Raptors and Celtics are, are 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 right there. Obviously, the Raptors are are encouraged by having Marcus All kind of healthy. They've been pretty good with him on the floor this year, although they haven't been a great team against kind of the, the top, other top teams in the league, uh, which can be, which can be an indicator of playoff, playoff success. And that's uh, kind of regardless whether Gasol has played or not, uh, they've, they've kind of struggled a little bit against um, other sort of top tier teams. Are the eight seeding games going to be enough to get all 22 up to speed? Is it going to be enough for playoff teams to realistically be prepared to go through a series? I mean, yes, it will probably not be the same as we are used to seeing in terms of sharpness, but um, it, I mean, it, I guess it, I'll, I'll flip that around on you and, and, and say, what do you mean by enough or prepared? Um, again, I don't think teams will reach kind of mid-season sharpness, but I, I almost think we're more worried about kind of conditioning <laughs> than we are. Yeah, about, I, like, I mean, that, that's, that's my biggest concern, right? Like th- these players have been off since, what was it? March 11th, March 12th was the final game. And that was in Oklahoma city. And now all of a sudden you throw them from zero to a hundred and a training camp. And, you know, if players test positive, if facilities test positive, they're closing down. And then when you do have to move them to Orlando, Eight games, you know, a lot of coaches will sit there and say, even in the preseason wise, they really only need three or four games to get ready for a regular season. And then when they do start the regular season, that they should be ready to go. Eight games from that standpoint of practice time to actual live action NBA games that matter, that aren't ramp up to December just does not seem like enough. And it seems like not only are you going to have to worry about positive tests because those are going to come, but you're also going to have to worry about injuries and and injuries. I get it are part of everything. But when you're working with a limited roster and limited personnel, that becomes more challenging. No, I agree with you. And, and, you know, the, the number of preseason games is almost immaterial to that. Um, the just, you know, behind the curtain a little bit, you know, now there's a, a two week training camp and you play a couple of preseason games, but really for a month and longer before that, like people are in the facility working out, you know, playing uh, unsupervised pickup, shall we say, um, uh, you know, no, uh, <laughs> no wink, wink going on there, but there's, there, there's, um, the, the preseason process is, is really about two months long and, 
you know, that's not going to be the case here. There's obviously probably, you know, from when teams get to Orlando, there's going to be two, three weeks of ramp up. And then really for, I would expect for the, especially for the teams that are expecting a deep playoff run, um, that those first, I don't know, two, two weeks or so of the, the seeding games are, are going to be, you know, more like an extended training camp than they are like regular season basketball. Um, I think that's, that's the, that's the intelligent way to approach it. I, I, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and I like the way that you phrase that. And you know, the, the thing that I keep in the back of my mind is we could potentially have a playoff run. That's very unexpected. You know, you, you look at maybe a young team like the Magic, and I only say that because they're in my backyard and everything I read is from Josh Robbins of your network from <laughs> about the Magic these days. But, you know, you look at a team like the Sixers who were kind of slogging through this campaign. Could this be beneficial for some of those teams that had rough campaigns? You know, now they've spent three months apart and they come back together and maybe their chemistry is a little bit better and they're ready to roll. I think we don't know really anything about any team is going to respond. Uh, the kind of all of that stuff that comes together that makes a team kind of gel and operate together is, is, is very ephemeral and, and kind of can be hard to, you know, reconstitute. So um, we, you know, there's no real precedent for what's going on now. So um, I, I don't think it's, I won't say that will happen, but I think you're not being irresponsible to, to wonder if that kind of thing is possible. Um, it's, we, it's, it's literally, we just don't know. Um, and, and that's, you know, both from a who's on the rosters to, you know, maybe some time apart, you know, fix some stuff for some teams or or broke some stuff for some other teams um, and, and how that's going to play out. There's there's honestly a, a, this at this point a month out, there's really just no way of knowing. Well, I'm going to ask you another question, which you, you may not be able to answer, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, teams play 82 games because they're trying to get home court. They're trying to, you know, they want to be in the top four seeds in a normal season. Uh, obviously, yeah. if you're the top seed, you've, you've got the, you know, the home court advantage in, in Eastern Conference or Western Conference finals. So that's all wiped away. There essentially is no home court advantage. How do you think that will play out um, in the, the seeding games, but then beyond in the, in the actual playoffs itself? Um, I think it probably makes upsets. I mean, it certainly makes upsets a little bit more likely. Um, but the best team wins a seven-game playoff series kind of overwhelmingly anyway. Um, uh, Mike Lopez, who's the director of analytics for the NFL, has done some some research on this and, and basically has found that 80% of the time, the better team wins an NBA playoff series. And that's with home court baked in. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's some... Uh, there's there's some 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 wiggle room there um and that's that's massively more likely than than the than the hypothetical best team is to win uh, a a playoff round in in any of the other you know, like uh major american sports um I, I think his his example had it to be like to for a baseball series to be as likely to determine the better team it would have to be like the best of 70 something like best of 75 or something like that mm-hmm. just because the 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 randomness in, a, in in who wins a basketball game is is just lower compared to to baseball or hockey do you have a, a thought on uh, the team that would say be hurt the most or helped the most by by the you know by the, the no home court advantage towards uh this is this is an idea that that we've been kicking around and um 
I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of kind of, of, of speculative reasons and it, and it almost inherently like, like edges into uh, pop, pop psychology territory <laughs> about who will respond, how to what. And, and, you know, that's, that's maybe fun, you know, uh, grist for debate, but it's, I don't think it's something that I would say rises to the level of analysis. Sure. You know, Seth, one of the things that has been mentioning is not only the NBA and how they've partnered with Disney, but how they're working with the players and with so many things going on outside of basketball, they're working to make it to where they can have their message heard during these games, you know, whether it's names on the back of the jerseys or just um, sayings on the back of the jerseys to even Black Lives Matters on the court. Just from some of the things that you've been hearing, what is the NBA's plan? What is the NBA Players Association's plan as far as things we might see on the court or on jerseys? Um, I think I, I've I've seen sort of what the what what the reporting has been. I haven't done any any investigation on that on on, on my own front, so I don't, I'm not sure I have I have anything to to really add to that as far as what we might see. Uh, we've heard some people. Um, I think Shaq comes to mind talking about that this would not be a real championship, and we've had other people heard from other people talk about well, actually, this would be the toughest championship because not only have you played the bulk of a season mentally you were prepared to do something that you then didn't do didn't know if you were going to do and now find out that yes you're going to do it but you're going to do it a lot later than you would have done it had you done it in a normal um in normal sequence so we, what's your take on whether this is a flawed championship or a crowning achievement of sorts uh, I'd, I'd i'd reiterate that um if you win the championship by winning the last game on some level that's what matters um you know, if if the championship was just kind of being a, uh, awarded based on, you know, some formula of the regular season, then yeah, I can see that. But they're playing the games. I mean, assuming we get there, they're they're playing the games, and and once they get to that point, yeah, the environment is different, and and the rules are are a little bit different, and and certainly no home court, and so on and so forth. But the you know, the, 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 your, your destiny is still in your own hands, win the game and you, you know, you win the championship. And I don't see why there needs to be any more kind of, you know, note taken. Obviously when we talk back about this season, we will discuss it in that way. But in terms of, we're talking about, you know, legacy career achievement, things of that nature. I don't see why it needs to be considered any different than any other year. Um, Tom Haverstrow of uh, NBC wrote an article. I want to say earlier this week, last week, it all kinds of runs together now where he talked about, yes, there'll be an asterisk this season. And, and that was kind of the gotcha headline. And then he went through it and, and, and illustrated why every season ever has an asterisk by it because of something weird happened. So uh, again, I don't, I, it, this is certainly a new thing that has happened, but you know, unique things have happened every single year and the champion has been crowned every single year. And I don't know why we need to treat this any differently. So Seth, with the neutral site, um, you don't have players traveling. You don't have the hotels. You don't have the nice locker room with the dingy locker room. You don't have any of that. So is this going to be the purest form of hoop that we as fans could expect to find, could expect to see? Purest is, is an, is an interesting, uh, way of putting it um i think it'll be it'll be different um i think that uh because the season is so long players become 
acclimatized to the the rhythms of 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 kind of the game and part of the rhythms of the game is the in a national tv game the you know two minute whatever timeouts with the with you know the the coach has about 30 seconds of stuff to say and then everyone's just kind of waiting and watching the jumbotron and trying to stay focused and stuff like that uh and over 82 games and and you know a, a playoff run you get used to that and certainly over your career you get used to that but now that all those things are taken away it's a different environment i will say that without kind of the home court uh factor which uh at this point the research seems to indicate is mostly about um uh refing um with 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 that kind of taken out of the the um the, the that that taken out of the equation there will be kind of a an, an even start to most games uh but how they play out um I, I don't know if I want to say pure, but it'll definitely be a different uh, in, environment, um, and and how that actually affects the play on the court be interesting to see. So you do, uh, the- so you do mention something that that we hadn't really touched on, and that's that's the that's the refereeing. I mean, uh, so what what would be your kind of take on how that might show itself? Um, I think I mean I just think that it's, it has been you know, shown that uh, home court advantage, at least in basketball, and I find some of the studies that have looked at this have, to be pretty convincing, is mostly in the the home team tends to get like the 50-50 calls, just a little bit more. And that that's kind of a large part of where the uh, the, the, the home court advantage co- comes into play. Um, and so if those become actually 50-50 calls, or maybe we start to see that that certain teams and players are, getting more of those, um, you know, to maybe see the, the star system really establish itself in that, like, you know, name a player, whether it's, you know, LeBron or Kawhi or Giannis or James Harden or whoever, uh, they, they start, they suddenly are getting more of these calls than, than the average bear. Um, you know, uh, that, that could come to fruition, but I think that the, the, the main driver of home court has kind of been removed. Yeah, Seth, you know, the thing no one seems to be talking about, but this is like the Orlando Pro Summer League on steroids, right? Like that's basically what the Pro Summer League was. Everybody just sitting in a gym with scouts around them, no fans, nothing. It was a smaller gym. But anyway, I'm nostalgic for the Orlando Pro Summer League just because I attended it a handful of times. But regardless, you know, another question we wanted to ask you was, you know, does the bubble potentially enhance or diminish any of the analytic trends that had kind of been established this season? I I would assume a lot of those will go forward just like they are, but do you foresee anything changing? So postseason basketball and, and regular season basketball is already pretty different. Um, There's sort of uh, when you're playing 82 games, plays a different different team in a different city every other night there's only kind of so much that you you change you you tend to be more all right let's do what we do and and focus on that and it'll uh, if we do what we do right we give ourselves the best chance to win um uh it, in in kind of more technical terms you're playing a game theory optimal style um you, when you get into a playoff series where okay we have time and focus to look at just this one team for seven seven games then that changes your preparation pretty significantly in terms of you're not just doing what'll work well against 29 other teams. You're, you're really focusing in on what will work well against one team. 
Uh, and so in that manner, uh, playoff basketball is already different than regular season basketball. So while some of the trends we see across the league in terms of shot selection and so on uh, do continue into the playoffs, there's also uh, much more ability to individually adjust to the strengths and tendencies uh, and weaknesses and uh, exploitable you know, gaps uh, in the opposition in a, a playoff setting. The games are going to be played. We're going to have a champion. If you had to go today, what your prediction would be, who are your two teams in the final and, and what's the outcome and in how many games? Um, man, uh, again, it's it, it, without knowing there's so many variables in terms of who's actually there, but I think I would, and I've consistently thought all year that it was going to be the, uh, Clippers and Bucks, and I'm going to stay with that. And, um, man, at this point, I think that's a, that's a pretty good series and I would lean Clippers, um, but I don't have a I don't have a strong feeling either way about that. Um, if I had to say the team that is most likely to win the championship, it's the Bucks. But that's more about I think they have a cleaner path to getting to the finals than than uh, than any team does from the West. Hey Seth, before uh, before you call it a day, I would like to uh, give you a chance to uh, talk about your podcast, the NBA podcast. Uh, sure. On. Uh... On the athletic, we have the Nerder She Wrote podcast with uh, myself, uh, Dave Dufour, uh, one of our great podcast hosts. He's he's coached and done player development uh, around the world. And then um, uh, Mo DeKeel, uh, who writes for Bleacher Report, uh, is, our, is our third third uh, member of the panel. He is a former uh, video coordinator with both the Spurs and the Clippers, and we take some time every week and try to talk to, about the NBA in a in a sort of a bigger picture. Um, uh, I don't want to say analytical because, uh, you know, both X's and O's and uh, numbers can be hard in audio format. But I think from a, 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 a thoughtful, long range viewpoint uh, and with the knowledge of kind of how things actually work, how decisions are actually made within teams to, to hopefully uh, give fans some context for why they're seeing some of the things they're seeing, whether it's a, a personnel decision or, uh, coaching strategy or why a player did a certain thing on the court. And I'm just going to say this. If someone hasn't subscribed to The Athletic already, what are you guys waiting for? It, it's fantastic. The work that you guys do, all 30 of your NBA beat writers, the entire personnel across all professional sports, it's well worth the money and a, a very good read on so many different fronts. Seth, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day and joining us. We really appreciate it, man. Oh, thanks for having I enjoyed it. That was dope. Special thanks to this week's guest, Seth Partnow of The Athletic. We look forward to following his work and all of the quality material that his colleagues at The Athletic are pumping out each and every day. And just as a reminder, if you have not subscribed to The Athletic, what are you waiting for? You get quality content like Seth, which you just heard here on Pure Hoops Media. So that's our plug for that. Special thanks to our producer, Scott Turkin and Bruce Bernstein for all their help in coordinating this show. It has been fantastic each and every week. And of course, our editor, Ben Wolf, and he makes us sound so good. And just a reminder, check out all of our shows here on Pure Hoops Media. The Mike Weiss Show has part two of a classic conversation with Hall of Famer Bill Walton. Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is every Tuesday. This week, they have Bill Raftery with some hilarious stories about his fellow characters in college hoops. Monica McNutt, as always, is on Thursdays with Buckets, Boards, and Blocks. And Monica has an exciting announcement coming up about her show. 
What could that be? And on Fridays, as always, keep it locked to the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. This week, they have Pacers legend Antonio Davis, who was front and center alongside Reggie Miller on some classic teams in the 90s. And Otto and I are back every Wednesday with a new Catch and Shoot 2.0. So please check out all of our shows. Subscribe, rate us, and give us a good review. It helps out a lot. All right, let's go. Time to stick the landing. Friends, we are not out of the woods yet. COVID-19 is not going anywhere. And it'll be with us for weeks, if not months. So I don't care if you live in New York. I don't care if you live in New Mexico. I don't care if you live in South Florida or South Dakota. You're going to need to continue to practice social distancing, continue to wear a mask, continue to wash your hands. Beyond that, let's remember, the medical professionals and the essential workers, they are putting their lives at risk for us. Their bravery and their service to us is critical for our success at getting past this point. They are today's superheroes. And on another thought, please continue to work for social justice in whatever form that means for you. Uh, work alongside your fellow citizens of all races, all religions. We're all striving for a more inclusive society. So until next week, everybody take care. Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.